If you entrust me with the presidency, I'll be an ally of the light, not the darkness. It's time for us to come together. United, we can and will overcome this season of darkness in America. My fellow Americans, tonight I profoundly accept this nomination for President of the United States. Hello everyone, welcome back on RCB for the third episode of The Battle for Washington. We are in October. This is really the final push before the first Tuesday in November. Well, there is a lot to say about this week with the two major newsworthy developments, the presidential debate and Trump's recent positive COVID test. So we couldn't have dreamed up a campaign more chaotic, uncertain and violent. Nonetheless, it seems that we have reached a new landmark in the race for the White House. We'll dive deeper into all of this in today's episode, as election day is less than a month. More exciting than ever, here is the Battle for Washington. Twenty twenty American elections. This is the Battle for Washington. So traditionally, October is a highly anticipated month concerning the presidential election. Every four years, political observators and voters are expecting the so-called October surprise to make its appearance. In 2016, Wikileaks released emails from Hillary Clinton and consequently the FBI reopened its investigation. In 2012, Hurricane Sandy represented a huge challenge for Obama and in 2000, relevation of Bush Jr.'s past drinking struggles. So this year, October seems poised to strike again. Around 1 in the morning in Washington on October 2nd, America was surprised with a tweet on behalf of the president. Tonight, the First Lady of the United States and I tested positive for COVID-19. We will begin our quarantine and recovery process immediately. We'll get through this together. In this present moment, as we record this episode, President Trump has been released from DC-based Walter Reed Military Hospital. This marks what could be an end to a very confusing few days. After having been checked into Walter Reed on October 2nd, mixed reports surfaced. For example, CNN reporter Jim Acosta reported that Trump's vitals has been in concerning territory from Friday into Saturday. His physician, however, said that Trump was well and there was little concern. This all became even more confusing when Chief of Staff Mark Meadows echoed Jim Acosta's news, citing Trump's dangerously low oxygen levels. The president has now been released back to the White House, where he stood before cameras and ripped off his mask. It must be noted that Trump has, was not cured, nor that he has tested negative, so his removal of the mask is a puzzling move to many. Despite his move back from the hospital, questions still remain about his health, especially since he has taken an absurd number of drugs, both proven and highly experimental. If things go south, what could happen for the rest of the campaign and the end of his presidency? So option number one, the president holds office at the hospital or in confinement in the White House. Option two, the president recognizes his temporary inability and thus make a declaration of transmission of power in favor of Vice President Pence according to the 25th Amendment to the Constitution. And option three, if the president is hospitalized and not conscious, the power is temporarily transferred to the vice president by a majoritarian vote of the government and the vice president. The real problem for Trump, if he's able to hold his office at the hospital, is about the campaign, as he has always favored in-person meetings, giving all his energy at his rallies in the hopes to glean voters. Moreover, the campaign director of Trump also got tested positive. So has the White House chief correspondent. The president has spent months trying to shift the focus of the campaign away from the virus to just about another topic in American life. 
This news resonates strikes almost ironically as he was the one downplaying the virus during all the pandemic, saying that it would be gone by Easter, something that Biden was sure to pinpoint in last Tuesday night debate. So now more about the debate. Let's go get to it. Amen. what a debate it oh, was. Yeah. It isn't crystal clear as to who won the debate, but what was clear, the American public lost. French people may have liked the Le Pen versus Macron in 2017, but this was another level. Journalists in the States have called it the worst presidential debate ever. A shit show, or as CNN's Cuomo put it, a hot mess inside a dumpster fire inside a train wreck. Put all things aside, was anything solvable? Americans and the world had the pleasure of tuning in for an hour and a half of screams, insult, cutting remarks, incessant interruptions and an overall racket. I think there is no need to show you once again all what has been said that was irrelevant to the debate. The internet is a trove for it. But Biden saying to the president that he's a clown shows the new decay of the presidential respect owed to the highest office holder in the country. And Trump has for sure a role to play in this. He also didn't play, pay any respect to Joe Biden, talking about his son's drug addiction while the Democratic candidate was talking about his son, Bo Biden, a veteran that fought in Iraq and died from cancer. What stood out of this debate is that we had the impression that this was an impossible dialogue between two candidates seemingly talking to two different countries. What could be noticed as well, highlighting the irreconcilable character of this debate, is that while talking Biden never looked at Trump, he was always looking straight forward to the camera. He was talking to the American people, urging them to vote. And after all, this debate was just another evident symbol of how divided the country is and the depth of his polarization. The two sides that faced during the debate can't even agree on evidence because they both inform themselves on media that will relate and confirm their point of view. Yes, exactly, Ines. In 2018, the Pew Research Center made a poll stating that 80% of Republicans and 76% of the Democrats acknowledged that on important national matters, the parties couldn't agree. For instance, both were discussing the necessity of wearing masks or even the extent of global warming. In addition, the same research showed that both parties have different concerns, highlighting the impression of two countries. For instance, Democrats value much more the just treatments of, of minorities as an important problem. On the contrary, Republicans value much more immigration issues than Democrats. So last Tuesday's debate only gave the impression of a meeting where both candidates were talking to their electorate. Trump focusing more on his Supreme Court justice nominee, seeking his base, white evangelical support, while Biden insisted on racial justice, tax justice and the pandemic. The most outstanding lesson of this debate is how both candidates denied the others. Everything they were saying was aimed to delegitimize the other's words. If you want to play a little game, you should count how many times the word wrong and the word false were, were being said. Biden was no longer considering what Trump was saying, labeling him as everything short of a pathological liar. So the last two things. First, Trump once again stood by his intention to contest the election's result. He used the example of certain states, such as California and New Jersey, that are sending absentee ballots to all registered voters, which he claims results in the widespread fraud, a claim disproven by even the right-wing think tank Heritage Foundation. Secondly, most notably, when prompted by moderator Chris Wallace, Trump refused to condemn white supremacy, instead telling the white supremacist Proud Boys to stand back and stand by. Only later, When calling into Fox News, did Trump condemn them? 
So all in all, this debate won't radically change the electoral dynamic, but revealed how much the U.S. was polarized, and the state of the American democracy with the president playing on the partisanship as its paroxysm rather than seeking unity. Now we are looking to the vice presidential debate that we are going to debrief in the next episode. There are pretty high expectations as it's an occasion for voters to get informed more in the depth about the candidates program and especially about the role of these vice presidents at medium term if we are looking at Trump and Biden's ages. Concerning Trump's positive coronavirus test, this news underlines how this campaign has chosen to handle the pandemic since the start. In fact, The pandemic has represented the main political challenge for every government worldwide, and the U.S. is no exception. Thus, the vote represents a way for American voters to express their discontent or their satisfaction with the government response. Even though many Republicans are still mainly focused on the economy, the majority of the country pays attention to the gestion of the virus. Having in mind the way Donald Trump didn't dismiss the virus as a threat, his diagnosis highlights how irresponsible he has been in the last past month. So thus, the final weeks of the campaign are hard to predict, even with the effects of this diagnosis. Joe Biden might remain on the campaign trail and prove that he has reflected on the seriousness of these events, whereas Trump is in the position of exhibiting the failure of his leadership as the first president to endure a health crisis this close to a re-election bid. It's unknown at this junction how the remaining presidential debates will be carried out. However, the presidential debates at this point are unlikely to seriously impact the polls. The latter, which at this point in time are favoring Joe Biden. But as always, they are just polls and can be misleading. The most outstanding example is that in 2016, a poll from NBC and the Wall Street Journal was giving Clinton with 14 points advantage against Trump. The exact difference that we have this year. Here with us in the studio, Eli Glenn has spent days and nights pouring over polling data. According to Project 538, run by star pollster Nate Silver, Biden maintains over an 8-point average national polling lead over the president. Most recently, Morning Consult have reported a range between 8 and 11 points as a lead for Biden, with their biggest poll, with over 15,000 likely voters, indicating a 9-point lead. Similarly, well-renowned polls such as the NBC Wall Street Journal poll, as previously mentioned, have shown as high as a 14-point national lead for the challenger. This lead, considerably higher than Hillary's in 2016, has been remarkably stable since March, never dipping below 5 points and reaching as high as 9.5 points. However, as we saw in 2016, the popular vote is not the deciding factor. According to Nate Silver's 538 model, at this time, Biden has an 81% chance of winning the election. However, all polls have to be taken with a rather large grain of salt, considering the 2016 polling catastrophe. Well, thanks, Eli, for this overview that was really clear and We should invite you more often on this show. See you next time, Eli. Thank you. So thanks for tuning to this week's episode of The Battle for Washington. See you by the end of the week for the breakdown of the vice presidential debate and a big announcement. Our guest will be Jeff Hawkins, a former U.S. ambassador. In the meantime, don't forget to stream RCB on every streaming platform. This has been The Battle for Washington, Season 2, Episode 3. See ya.